Uh, today, I want to talk about, uh, in the continuation of what I started before I left, uh, about heaven. And, you know, what, what does the Bible say about heaven? You know, we talked a little bit about it last time, but really not in, in detail of uh, actually uh, heaven itself and the description. And I want to touch on that today as much as we can. But I ha- heard an old story. This is an old story. You've probably, some of you probably heard this before, but I always enjoy it. Uh, and it's about an elderly couple who passed away <clears throat> within, you know, just about the same time. And, and they were standing together at the gates of heaven uh, and, uh, you know, being carried there by the angel before the presence of God because they had faith in Jesus. And, and uh, Simon Peter is there, you know, and to welcome them and shook their hands, welcomed them to heaven. And, and he said, I'm going to take you on a tour. So he takes them and showed them the mansion that they're going to dwell in, the mansions of heaven. And the, the man, the husband, he was so overwhelmed by the sheer luxury of it all. And he, and he asked, well, how much does this place cost per night? And Peter replied, sir, uh, this is heaven. It doesn't cost you anything. It was paid for already in full by Jesus on his uh, death on the cross. And then Peter took him to the dining room where the table uh, and table upon table was set up and piled high with some of the most delicious, delectable foods you could ever imagine. And, and again, this man overwhelmed by the glory of it all. And he, asked, uh, and he asked Peter, well, how much for the meals? You know, what do you got to pay? Peter took him aside uh, and, and he said, hey, uh, it's heaven. It's free. You know, God wants you to enjoy everything. So then Peter took him out, uh, out back where they saw a beautiful, fantastically, the most glorious golf course that anybody had ever seen. And, and the man stood there with his mouth open, hanging open, and, he, and Peter said, now, before you ask about the green fees, there are no green fees. This is heaven. Everything is free. The man rather irritated He turned to his wife, and he says, you and your confounded bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago (laughs) if you hadn't kept me so healthy. And think of all I missed out on all these years. So, you know, and we think about this funny illustration about heaven and the promise of eternal life. It's a place of unbelievable beauty, unbelievable delight that God has prepared for his people. And I think about heaven often. You know, I'm uh, not old yet, but I'm getting older. And, uh, and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, my aunts and uncles that were a lot younger than my mother have passing away. Many are sick and ready to go, but, uh, you know, most of them are ready to go to heaven when they die. And some have gone on to heaven to enjoy their reward. And with all their struggles in this life, they're in glory right now in the presence of God and the great reunion together. And I think about uh, the most wonderful thing about heaven, and I think that really it's not what's there or anything else, but the most important thing is who we're going to be with. And I, and I can't help but say, hey, um, I can't wait uh, to see <clears throat> Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham. Uh, I, I want to I see the patriarchs. Uh, I want to see Joshua and Caleb. Caleb is one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. He's just a spunky 85-year-old man who was ready to go out and fight the giants and take the land away from them. You know, I'm as strong now as I was then 40 years ago, and I'm ready to go, you know, and let, you know give me the, uh, the land with giants. And, and, and he, I want to see Caleb. I want to talk to him. And man, I'll tell you, he excites me. I want to see the, the apostles, uh, and I want to see all them. But you know who I want to see most of all is I want to see Jesus. Yes, amen. I want to see him. Yes. He's the one who saved me. 
He's the one who rescued me from the pit. He's the one who raised me up. He's the one who forgave my sins. He's the one who wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's the one who filled me with his Holy Spirit. He's the one who called me to preach the gospel. And I want to see Jesus. I don't know, like that song, I can only imagine. Standing before his glory. What am I going to do? I think that all of us are going to fall at his feet and just hang on to him and thank him. You know, preaching about heaven, I thought about this, I thought, you know, everybody's going to think you're preaching funerals, you know, because I think, you know, that's a shame that most of the time I preached on heaven, it's been at a funeral. And that's always appropriate for the saints of God to give hope. And the funeral text that I would use most often would be, don't let your hearts be troubled, John 14, uh, verses 1 through 6. But uh, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus told them before his impending arrest and crucifixion. He said, there's more, listen to this, there is more than enough room. He's the God of plenty. El Shaddai. He's the God who never runs out of supply. He never runs out of resources. There is more than enough room, he says, in my father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. When I think about that, there is more than enough room in what the Bible describes that new Jerusalem, that holy city that's going to come down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, Randy Alcorn says in his book on heaven, he says, we don't need to worry that heaven will be crowded. The ground level of that city will be nearly 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England and 50 times, 15,000 times bigger than London. It is 10 times as big as France or Germany and is far larger than India. But remember, that's just the ground level. And the city of New Jerusalem is not all of heaven. That's not the boundaries of heaven. That's just the city that God has prepared uh, as a bride adorned for her husband, for the groom. So don't let your hearts be troubled. There's more than enough room there. God doesn't run out of room for us. And the Bible says the city is 1,400 miles wide and, and as long as four square John 14, 1, remember, says that when everything is ready, Jesus said, I will come and get you. We don't have to worry about who's going to take us. Jesus said, I will come and get you. You know, he's not a man that he can lie. God is God. His word is gospel. His word, you can take it to the bank. When he says, everything is ready, I'll come and get you. He's going to come and get you when things are ready. He's going to come and get you when it's your time to pass away from this life, and your body will die, and he will carry you if you have faith in Christ into the very presence of God in heaven where you will be totally healed and restored of all that you suffered in this life. It is incomparable to anything that we know here as well. He says, you'll be with me where I am because, you know, God wants to spend time with his saints. Amen? We are adopted in his family. First Thessalonians chapter 4.17 <clears throat> talks about after the rapture, after Jesus comes to catch away his bride. Uh, he says that, uh, you know, the 
<clears throat> saints that have passed away, they're in the grave, that they will rise first at the sound of the trumpet and the shout of the archangel. <clears throat> and then he says, then we, in verse 17, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together, kind of a translation of that, raptured up, caught up together with them in the clouds, so to meet the Lord in the air, and he says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Aren't you glad that God gives us a promise that is eternity long? He doesn't say, you'll be with me for 10,000 years, and then I don't know where you're going to be. He doesn't say, you're going to be with me 10,000 years, you've been really good, 5,000 if you were not so good. Amen? But he has redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ, and he has cleansed us, written our names in the Lamb's book of life when we trust in him, and we will be with the Lord forever and ever, never-ending time. Uh, the word, I'm told, in the original language in Greek uh, it, that says we will be with the Lord, that with uh, is not to be misunderstood or uh, is not to be just understood as in the sense of sitting face to face, although we will be sitting face to face with our Lord and our Savior. Uh, it doesn't necessarily just mean side by side when it says we'll be with Him, but although we will be side by side with Him. But it, it actually employs the term this, is as united around a mutual action or experience. We will be with the Lord. That the saints of God who've been redeemed together will be with him because of our shared experience of salvation of the action of God to redeem us. I love this old song. It's an old song, an old gospel song. And it says this, uh, the title of it is, Jesus Will Outshine Them All. Anybody hear that song before? And I know a lot of the old timers have, like me. Uh, but uh, part of the verses go like this, Oh, what glory awaits me in heaven's bright city. When I get there, when I get there, notice that not if I get there, because I'm going. Amen? I got my ticket punched, I'm ready to go. Amen? Uh, when I get there, such delight, such sight I'll behold, still my Jesus will outshine them all. All the beauty of heaven, the most beautiful thing about heaven is the Savior. And the verse says, the golden glass gives reflection of that city's perfection. Still my Jesus will outshine them all. And the chorus, I love the chorus, it says, mansions will glisten on the hills of glory. Happy reunions on streets of gold. Aren't you looking forward to the happy reunions? Angels are singing glad praises forever. Still, my Jesus will outshine them all. And that is so true. My Jesus will outshine them all. You know, one of the, the second thing about heaven is not just getting there, but who's there, who's the priority there. The second is, is heaven's beauty is described in the scriptures. You know, we don't see a total complete picture, but we get enough of a description that it's we realize that it's something that beyond anything of the greatest wonders of the earth has ever shown, even the beauty of Solomon's temple, <clears throat> which was considered one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, right at the top in his day, and the description of it, the beauty of it, the gold, the silver, the incredible craftsmanship that is there. But in heaven, it's going to be beyond, way beyond any beauty that has ever been here. You know, we have a description <clears throat> uh, of uh, heaven uh, from the scriptures and multiple sites. Yeah. The New Jerusalem, the city of God, uh, which Abraham, so Hebrews tells us that Abraham, as he sojourned through the land, he was doing what? Looking for a city. He wasn't just taking a walk, okay? 
He was walking the length and the breadth of the promised land for his descendants after him to inherit forever from God, a gift from God. Uh, and, and, but he was also, the scriptures say in Hebrews, he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. The builder, the architect is God. And Abraham, when he looked forward to that city, prophetically he was looking forward to the city of God, the new Jerusalem. Uh, the new Jerusalem will be fantastically huge, as I've described already. Uh, John the Apostle records that the city is nearly 1,400 miles long and, 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 and is as wide and high as it is long. The new Jerusalem being in equal length, width, and depth, according to Revelation 21, 15 through 17, the city will be dazzling in every way. It is lighted by the glory of God, not by the sun, the moon, or the stars. There will be no lights, no candles, no lights there. They'll be lit up by the glory of God. It's 12 has 12 foundations bearing the names of the 12 apostles and are decorated with every kind of precious stone. Incredible. It has 12 gates to that city, uh, each one made with a single pearl. That's some clam, you know that? I, I, that's a big pearl. <laughs> Bearing the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The street will be made of pure gold. You know, we were talking uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, the board and I with someone, and, and we talked about God's, I get passionate about this, God's most precious treasure. Compared to people on earth, they're our treasure. You know, um, I appreciate the beauty of, uh, of polished gems. I mean, high-quality polished gems. I, I remember going to the Harry S. Truman Library when I was in high school on a field trip, and at that time, before he had got stolen, there was a whole display of the most incredible gems you'd ever seen, swords that were encrusted with precious stones and overlaid with gold, pure gold. And they were gifts from uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries, the Arab countries, uh, as a gift to the United States, actually to Truman, but, you know, donated to that library, uh, for thanking them for liberation of World War II. And, and I looked at those as a young man, and I have never seen anything so incredibly beautiful. I thought, oh my gosh. I didn't, I didn't really know the Lord then, but I thought about that many times after when I see descriptions of heaven, of the jewels, the gems, the gold, the silver, and I thought, oh, that's just a foretaste of the beauty. And that was so valuable that thieves broke in and stole all of them, probably popped all the jewels out and sold them separately, destroyed the ornamental work of those beautiful sabers and swords. And we count that as treasure in this life. You know, thieves and uh, criminals seek to steal so that they can enrich themselves. But in God's economy, the greatest treasure that he has is people. That's why we're doing Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, is because people are important to God. People are going to live in this life, and at some point in their life, because the Word of God tells us that uh, there's an appointed time for each man to die, and after this, the judgment. You know, we're all going to die one day, according to the Word of God, but where are we going to stand at the judgment? Okay? Are we going to stand before the Bema judgment, the judgment seat of Christ as believers, ensuring that we're going to heaven, or are we going to stand before the great white throne judgment uh, where the wicked dead will stand before God and be sentenced to their eternal damnation? I'm telling you, it's important 
that we win people for Jesus. Jesus said, work while it is day, because the night comes when no man can work. It is day right now. It's cloudy, yes. It's a little stormy at times in our culture and in our world. There's terrible things happening across the world. Afghanistan is a tragedy. Uh, and, and things are happening there. People are suffering. But I'm telling you that it is still day until Jesus comes again and the end times begin. Listen, we need to win people for Jesus. We need to be engaged. We need to care about people's salvation. I, I tell you that New Jerusalem also will be a place of unimagined blessing. The curse of the old earth will be gone, according to Revelation 22.3. In the city also there is the tree of life for the healing for the nations. Don't the nations need healed? Would you say amen to that? We are broken and wounded. We have been uh, uh, slashed and dashed and bruised by the attacks of the enemy uh, coming against the nations and the people of God. Uh, but it also says that there's a river that runs through that place, the river of God. You know what I want to do when I get there? I want to I go swimming in the river. And I'm not somebody who likes to swim in lakes. I don't, I get, I don't like feeling my toes in the bottom of a lake. I don't like to do that. I'm just kind of that way. Uh, some of you think that's weird, but that's okay. You're weird too in another way. Uh, but uh, I can tell you I don't like swimming in a river because, you know, I, you know, I think it's, I always think how it's, it's really not that clean and I don't want to be in the river, but hey, the river of God is pure as crystal, pure as crystal, and I'm going to jump in the river. You know what that river represents? It represents the anointing and the life of God. You know what it says in Ezekiel and Revelation? It says that any person who touches the water of that river is made whole, is made clean. I, I, I know I'm cleansed by the blood, but I want to plunge in anyway. I want to take a fresh baptism in the river of God when I get it into that city. I'm going to eat from the tree of life uh, that will heal my soul and heal me from the bruises and the wounds inflicted upon me in this life. It is also a place where Paul spoke of in Ephesians 2.7 says, In the coming ages, God will show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Jesus Christ. He has lovingly prepared that place for us. The new Jerusalem is the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises for the people of God who have been redeemed. The new Jerusalem is God's goodness to those who have been redeemed for those uh, who have trusted in him, the full manifestation of his goodness. I'm going to tell you, I'm looking forward to that time in that city when we will stand in the presence of the Lord. Uh, the verses that uh, we're going to be looking at today as we go through uh, the, the other points that I have um, are the seven last things described in the book of Revelation, and they are about heaven. And look at this, 21.1. See, John the Revelator, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing the book of Revelation, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wanted us to know what is prepared for those. And John looks up. And John says in his revelation, his vision, he says, I saw. He'll say that again, I saw. Then he'll say, I heard, I heard. He saw. He looked up and he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Have you ever noticed that in our culture today, the further our nation moves away from the truth and the moral teachings of the word of God, the further we slide away from it, that place of worship, which is for God alone, that place of adoration, for, it was for God alone in past times, 
uh, is now uh, turned towards worshiping of things that are created. It is the earth. They call it Mother Earth, and we got to protect Mother Earth. Can I tell you that my God doesn't need protected? My God is not the created things. My God is the God who created all things. He doesn't need protected. He doesn't need to be guarded. Uh, he doesn't need to be uh, laws passed to protect. But the he new heaven and the earth, all things are going to be made new. The first heaven and earth is going to pass away. I, I tell you, you know, Peter talks about that. He says that he saw that the heavens that are and the earth and the uh, heavens and the uh, melting in intense heat, just being melted and destroyed. You know, when my, one of my uncles, uh, when he was a boy, wasn't raised in a Christian home as we know as a Christian home, uh, and he had a dream when he was probably seven years old, and he went and told, never forgot that dream. And what he saw in that dream was exactly what Peter talked about. Never read the Bible. He didn't know what was in the Bible, but he saw what Peter said. The heavens and the earth melting in great intense heat. He didn't know what it meant, but when he became a young man, he got saved and he'd been reading the Bible, and he said, that was my dream. I saw that. God showed me that before I was saved. So the new heavens and the new earth are coming. And verse 2 says, I saw, he says again, John says, he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And we talked about the new city uh, of Jerusalem. I got a couple of slides that I wanted you to see if you look at the picture up here. The size, and we talked about the size, I want to uh, develop that a little bit further. Look at the size on the planet, on the earth, the size of just the city of God, the New Jerusalem, how much space it takes up. It kind of puts it in perspective that in God's creative mind, the earth is really rather small compared to his glory and compared to heaven. Beautiful. Next picture. Shows another picture. The size of the city foursquare up there covering all of Canada and the United States going all the way down uh, to Mexico. Look at the size of it. You can get a little picture, a little bit of an idea of what God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> he says, goes on to say in verse 3, that I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, you know, in heaven, you know, it's okay to use your outside voice inside, you know, especially if you're God. And God speaks up in a loud voice from the throne, and he says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Yeah, isn't that awesome? That's, that's what God has prepared for those who love him. And, and he goes on in verse 21 and describes just some of what God has in mind for the people who have come from this planet, who lived in this life through all of the the, the challenges, all the trials, all the testings, all of the attacks from the enemy, the spiritual warfare, and all the disappointments, the poverty, the pain, the disease. And he says this about heaven in that new city, in heaven, God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You say, there's going to be crying in heaven? I, I think obviously there is, but you know what the difference is? I, I think it's going to be, a lot of it is going to be regrets about in our life, we should have done. God, if only I had known. I knew, but I didn't know. I would have done this. You know, 
I, I told, you know, many years, over the years, especially during our capital campaign to build, you raise money to build this facility and relocate and, and, uh, and, and I had, God had just gifted, gave me a gift of faith to just stick to it and just to go. It's, the only explanation for it is, it's just, you know, the sticker shock kept getting higher and higher and, and every time I'd go to the Lord, he'd say, don't worry about it. You know, I'd get in prayer, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it, I'll send people in to help you. And he would always follow through with his promises. How many know that God always answers his promises? And, 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 and but I, I remember just <clears throat> being concerned about it, but, you know, uh, all I think about, as I told the congregation over those, those years, is think in terms of not in this life only, but think in terms of 10,000 years from now. You'll be looking back on history, and 10,000 years from now in heaven, yes, he will wipe away every tear, he will comfort us. Uh, he will forgive us for areas that we messed up in and that we, things we didn't do that we should have and vice versa. But why have regrets? Think in terms of 10,000 years from now. And when we were raising money for this, I would tell people, think about 10,000 years from now when you pray and ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how much to sacrificially give to make this happen. I also said this generation will be the ones who sacrifice for generations to come. We will sacrifice for our children and our children's children. Why did we do that? So that we could have a beautiful building? Some people do it for that reason. You know why we did it? We did it because eternity yawns before us. And God has called us to do all that we can do using every resource possible. We're responsible as stewards of the resources God gave us to whom much is given, much is required. Do all that you can do to make a difference, to expand the borders and the influence of the kingdom of God in this season of time and for the future in our community and in the world. Amen. That's what it's all about. It's not about me and my IRA or my uh, retirement accounts. It's not about how big my house is or how many cars I have or what I drive. It is about the kingdom of God where real treasure is, which is God's treasure. It's people. It's souls to be redeemed and rescued by the power of his gospel. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. He says, and I like this because there'll be no more death. You know, I get sick of death. I have some wonderful family, uh, wonderful friends that have died. And, and I know that death is a reality just as life is. I know that it's not the end. It's only the beginning for the child of God. But you know what? I still don't like it. You know, someday I'm going to die. And, you know, my brother's talking. He's got a rare blood disease. And he's saying, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm, I don't care if the Lord takes me. I don't and I said, well, I don't care if the Lord takes me either, but I don't want him to be in a big hurry. You know, I know I'm going to die, but I don't, I don't, want, I'm not long for it. And, and so I was trying to get him to be encouraged a little bit. You know, yeah, we're going to die, but hey, don't be in a big hurry. Let's, you know, let's enjoy the, listen, the gift of life that God gives to us. He didn't give us life so we can be miserable and mopey and sad and have no fun. You know, you can have fun without sinning. You know, my old pastor used to tell me that, you know what, Tim, he'd say, a Christian has more fun accidentally than sinners have on purpose. <laughs> Very profound. You know, I never forgot that. And I thought, that is absolutely true. But there will be no more death. You know, you're not going to lose your loved ones. I read the obituaries. 
Some people say, that's kind of weird. No, I read the obituaries because I care about my people. I care about if you've lost a loved one. Um, I kind of look at the ages, and guess what? They're all ages. You know, some of the greatest tragedies in my heart and mind are when there is a young person, especially a child, um, an infant child who dies, and the parents, you know, have that obituary there. And I, I just grieve, and I say, oh, God, they must be hurting so bad. I can't even imagine what that must be like. And I pray for them. But there will be no more death. There won't be any more mourning. There will be no reason to mourn. There will be no crying or pain. How many, and I don't ask you to raise your hands, but I know a lot of my friends and my brothers and sisters uh, have like things like fibromyalgia. They have uh, um, other things uh, that cause daily pain. They live in pain. That's their life. They just get through life. You know what? In heaven, there's no more pain. Isn't that awesome? He, and, and, and he says, why is that? He says, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order is gone. You know, the atmosphere that was caused by sin is gone. And, and he goes on to say in Revelation 21.5, he, he who was seated on the throne said this, and he announced it loudly, I'm making everything new. <clears throat> I love that announcement. I'm making everything new. Not some things, but everything's going to be brand new. And then he said, write this down. You know, what does he mean by that? Write it down, take it to the bank, cash it. It's worth everything that I said it was. My word is true. Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You write it down. I'm going to do it. Do you believe God and his promises? I do. I'm so excited about what he's doing. Revelation 21.6 says, he said to me, this, and I love this part, it is done. I remember when Jesus, one of his last words on the cross said, what did he say? It is finished. It's kind of like the same thing. It is done. Jesus said, I finished the plan of salvation for mankind. I finished it. And he gave up the ghost. He, he could leave then. His purpose in life was done. And God says, at this time, New Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride ordained or, or, or adorned for her husband. He says, it's done. Making everything new, it's done. It's as good as done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. That's something I'm going to do. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water. You know, Tony is, is on this uh, <clears throat> kind of I don't know, it's a weird diet. It's working. He's lost a lot of weight. You know, you're looking good, Tony. There's less of you and more of me. Uh, but he's drinking a lot of water and flushing out his system. And, you know, and it's just amazing how much water he's drinking. But, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tank up. You know, some people like to go to the bar and tank up on things they shouldn't be drinking. I want to go and get some of that living water. Amen. Amen. I'm going to drink that living water. God says if you're thirsty... Hey, you can drink freely. You can have as much as you want. You know, there's not going to be any uh, meeting out of things in heaven. God's just going to have an open buffet. And you come and you dine. You eat as much as you want. You drink as much as you want. You know, we eat as much as we want. We're not going to get fat, you know. There's no calories in heaven. That's, that's, I, I believe that. Do you believe that? Hey. <laughs> Hey, I, I, you know, the one thing that troubles me, I don't think there's going to be devil's food cake, and I love that cake. You know, I love devil's food cake. But uh, maybe God will rename it and we'll still have it. I don't know. There's angel food cake, but I'm not a big fan of angel food cake. So, uh, But, uh, hey, I'm looking forward to some incredible 
incredible things that God has prepared for us. You know, there's still a lot unknown about heaven. There's things we don't know for sure. We know what the scriptures reveal to us, and that's enough until we get there. But we do know this. Uh, you know, God describes it the best he can uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as John and other writers of the Word of God, uh, you know, write as the Holy Spirit moved on their hearts. But, you know, Paul sums it up this way in 1 Corinthians 2.9. You know, as glorious as what it is, he says, you know, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, what's he saying? He says, it is indescribable. It is, it is, you know, as Paul was caught up to the third heaven, one thing he said, he says, I saw things caught up in the third heaven that I could not put into human words. He said, I, there's, you can't articulate, you can't say, I saw unspeakable things, he says. And in heaven, it is so indescribably wonderful that even as glorious as it sounds, we can't even imagine what it is. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it is good that uh, that uh, what we can't uh, even imagine, but one thing I can imagine is what God does spell out. No tears, no suffering, no disease, no pain, no death, no crying, only pure joy and bliss. Heaven restores all and more of what was lost in the Garden of Eden when man sinned. You know, something else I like about it, just with uh, the present circumstances, there's no COVID in heaven, there's no viruses. You know, there's no cancer. There's no blood cancer, rare blood diseases. It's, it's, you know, they don't exist. They can't exist in the presence of a holy God and in his perfect community that he has prepared for those who love him. Third point is all things will be made new. We talked a little bit about that already, but he was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making everything new. And, and uh, you know, <clears throat> different times you can hear people talk about heaven and, and God's making all things new, new heavens, new earth. Uh, but he also says that he is going to give us a new body. Now, I don't know how God's going to improve on this perfection. Because <clears throat> I just get better looking every year. Um, but he's going to improve on something you think can't be improved on. You might see someone who's a drop-dead gorgeous or handsome. But, hey, you know, God's going to give us a new body who trusts in him. And for uh, people like me uh, who have, uh, uh, you know, especially the older I get, have aches and pains, and I have some things that, that I'm asking God to heal me for and uh, heal me of, uh, but uh, in that day when He cre creates a new body for me, it's going to be a physical body with, I believe, spiritual attributes. It's going to be a spiritual body, but it's going to have physical attributes. It's going to be a body that will never die, never age. It's uh, it's not going to suffer any kind of pain or any kind of disease, and we're all going to be new creatures in Christ. Philippians 3.21, Paul says he will take, God will take our weak and mortal bodies, and he will change them. Say change. change. How many are looking for a change? Amen? He will change them into a glorious bodies like his own. How is he going to do that? By using the same power, say same power, same. the same power which he will bring everything under his control. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in your mortal bodies, giving us the assurance of eternal life and resurrection. And 21 verse 6 says, he said to me, it's done. And I, again, I love that verse, it's done. 
I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and to him who is thirsty I'll give to drink without cost from the springs of living water. Absolute authority, uh, literally God speaks with absolute authority, nothing before him, nothing after him, always has been, always will be Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. You know, the devil wants people to think even the people of God will deceive you if you bite into that lie, is that somehow the devil has just as much power as God that he is everywhere at all times, he's omnipresent, that he is all-wise and knowing knows all the secrets of your life. He only knows what he can observe. He doesn't see the secrets of your heart. He guesses. He's a good guesser sometimes. But he is not all places at all times. He has minions of demons who seem to create havoc in your life and in society and in nations. But I can tell you there's only one who is almighty. There is only one who is all-powerful. There is only one who is omnipotent with all power. There is only one who is omniscient, all-wise and all-knowing. There is only one who is omnipresent, all places at all time, who promises he would never leave us or forsake us, and that is our God, the creator of all things. When he says it's done, it's done. When he says, I'm Alpha and Omega, that you can take it to the bank. When he promises that he will let you drink from the fountain of life, the spring of life without cost, he means it. He has absolute authority, absolute ability to bring to pass every promise that he makes. And if your heart is thirsty, thirsty for God, you don't have to go without. You know, I, I woke up in last night <clears throat> and I went into a coughing fit. Why did I do that? Not because of COVID, because my mouth got dry, my throat, I must have been breathing through my mouth, and I got up just coughing and coughing because I was dry all the way down got up and drank some water, got up and uh, drank some hot water, and then I got cough and cough in the bathroom, trying not to wake Don. I'm sure I woke her up. And then I sprayed my throat and, you know, <clears throat> cough, cough, cough. Finally went back to bed and went back to sleep. But you know what? The living water. <laughs> if I could just get a cup of that. You remember Jesus told the woman at the well, the, from a uh, well near a village of Sychar near Samaria, he said, anybody who drinks this well water, they'll thirst again. Okay, I'm going to get thirsty. I was drinking water this morning, you know. I was thirsty. But Jesus said, if you drink the water that I have, you'll never be thirsty again. You're not going to have to come draw water. You're not going to have to get up in the night with a dry throat and chug water and try to get your throat cleared. We have living water, heavenly water. I'll tell you, I'm so excited about heaven. I kind of want to go there now, but I really, I love my life here too. I want to wait, you know. It's just exciting to go there. So the question is, are you hungry? Are you hungry for the things of God that he has prepared for? I hope you're hungry. I hope you anticipate with joy everything that he has before you. There's kind of another flip side to this, and I'm going to finish up here. I promise I'll finish. The flip side is, <clears throat> is that there is a place called hell. And I'm going to be dealing more about that. You know, you never heard me, I don't think, over the years preach an exclusive message on just hell. Uh, but I can do it. And it needs to be done. Uh, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames is a production that is desperately needed in our culture today to show people and warn them that there is a place that you can go that is incredibly beautiful and joyful or you can go to the other place. We want to warn them. We want to be a sign on the road to hell to tell them to turn around and go back. He says in the Word of God in Revelation 28, he says, but after he talks about heaven, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all liars, 
Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. There is a place called hell. It is not an imaginary or a figurative place. It is a real place that you don't want to go there and you don't want your loved ones to go there. You don't want your friends to go there. The same Bible that tells us about heaven also tells us about the lake of fire, the lake of sulfur. And those who will be there are described in the verse that I just read and then some. It's not all inclusive. But some of the items are cowardly. It's listed first. I don't know if it's listed in order uh, <clears throat> purposely like that, but the cowardly are listed there first. Why is it? Is it because people get fearful in battle and soldiers get afraid? No, it's not that. I believe it's because the cowardly will deny Christ when push comes to shove. That we need to be courageous believers in a day when Christianity is not popular any longer in this culture. We cannot afford to be hidden Christians hiding behind masks and pretending that we blend in with the world when God has called us out to be separate. We will stand accountable before the throne of God one day. And cowardly is not cool. Cowardly is dangerous. We need to take a stand and be counted with the saints of God. It also lists as the unbelieving are listed there, and yet we see these things, <clears throat> even if we have behaved cowardly, or we know people who have. Peter behaved cowardly. Um, he denied Christ three times before the cockroach of the night Jesus' trial, and yet he went out and wept bitterly, and he repented. And guess what? Jesus sought him out after the resurrection, said, tell the disciples that I'm here, and tell Peter, singling him out, because he wanted to reel him in and restore him. God wants to restore you if you have strayed. His grace and his mercy are endless if we reply and respond to him. He also talks about sexually immoral and those who practice magic arts and those who worship other gods. They're all listed here. And sexually immoral, can I just tell you, is not just perversion and homosexuality. Some people say, oh, that's bad sin. Oh, that's bad. So is adultery and fornication is sexual immorality. So is looking and using pornography is sexually immoral. In fact, pornography is idolatry because you're looking and bowing down to images of the real thing in, instead of bowing down to the Lord. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous day we live in. And the church becomes, and I'm talking about not Calvary, I'm talking about the church in general, churches across the board, denominations, are becoming more and more <coughs> tolerant and fearful of confronting sin. And if we don't confront sin and call sin sin, people will go to hell. Yeah. They deserve the truth. And we need to project the truth in love. Not banging people over the head with the Bible, but telling them about the alternative. You know, another thing is liars. Liars are included as well. I mean, you know, lying is a sin. It's a bad sin indeed. You know, people lie today at the drop of a hat. You know, people lie about things they don't have to lie about. I mean, this is the whole culture. You know, it's a place where you really can't trust a person. It used to be you could trust people with a handshake. Most people. You know, you, you didn't have to sign a contract because you knew they were going to do what they said. Their, their word was their bond. Their good name they wanted to protect. Now people don't care. They care about gain. Getting what I want. And let it not be said that when the whole culture goes that way, that the church of Jesus Christ is not a part of that culture. 
We are a nation within a nation, a kingdom within a kingdom. And God has said, come out from among them and be separate. That we should have integrity, honor, and honesty, and respect for law. I'm going to close with this. There was a man watching the news one night, and when it was reported that his car was going the wrong way direction and on the freeway, he got ex excited about it because he knew his wife was on her way home on that same freeway, so he became concerned. So he called her on her cell phone, and she answered and said, uh, and he said, dear, there's, there's one car on that interstate you're on that's going the wrong direction on the freeway. And she, before he could say anything else, she exclaimed real loud, she says, uh, one car, there are hundreds of them. You know, here's the thing. There are millions on this highway to hell. They're going the wrong way that God wants them to go. The path that leads to eternal life is narrow, but we need to turn people in the other direction. Turn them back. You're going the wrong direction. The attitude of the world is uh, when one car is going the wrong direction, that it's everybody else that's wrong. The Word of God says that there's one way to heaven, and that's it. So one thing about Scripture tells us, and the Bible tells us, that, uh, that God will uh, forget is the sins that we have sinned when we repent. He will wipe our slate clean. And can I tell you something? That I need, according to Lamentations, the tender mercies of the Lord every single morning. Okay? Not just once. But I need forgiveness every day. And so I repent every day. And I'm thirsty every day. I'm anticipating eternal life and the good things of God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but can I tell you something? I never, ever got over what he did for me. I never forgot what I was like before I knew Jesus. I never forgot about the despair and the hopelessness that was in my heart. I never forgot about the guilt and the shame of the things that I had done and was involved in. I felt filthy and dirty and unredeemable. The devil told me, God doesn't love you. He hates you because of your sin. He lied to me, and I believed him. Can I tell you watching on live stream and those here today that the devil is a liar? He is the original liar, the Word of God says, that he is a deceiver, and he wants to deceive you and lie to you and tell you that you're not good enough. You can never be good enough to go to heaven. But I can tell you today with assurance from the promises of the Word of God that when you confess Christ as Savior when you believe in Him, that He's the Son of God and, and He was raised from the dead, victorious over sin and the, and, and the grave, is that you can be born again. You can be forgiven. Your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want you to bow your heads with me. Worship team's coming back. Uh, we're not going to have a full altar service here today like we normally do because of time has slipped away, but we are going to pray. And we are going to thank God for our salvation. We are, I hope you are like me, you are daily thankful for the grace and the mercy of God that he gave to you. And, and if you're a Christian and you, you've been compromising, you've been toying around with sin, today is the day of repentance. Today is the time when you return back to God and you say, God, I want to turn back to you and, and give my life to you again and anew and afresh. You're watching online. Turn your life to Jesus today. Uh, repent of your sins, and he will forgive you. Would you stand and pray with me today? Father, in Jesus' name.
Lord, we believe in Jesus. Would you all just say that with me? I believe in Jesus. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He died for the sins of the world. I believe He shed His innocent blood as an atonement for my sin. Lord, I receive You as Savior. And I ask You to forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name. I commit my life to you in this life and the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.